Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. Today we're going to discuss the issue, where was the temple located? The temple being a most holy place. A holy place is a place that God has set apart for himself and for the fulfillment of his purposes. It's a place where God has chosen to act in, the, in history and to reveal himself and his glory. This doesn't just apply to the past, also to the future, because the prophetic scriptures reveal God is not finished. He will intervene again and reveal his glory, and he'll change things on earth in dramatic ways. Now, of all the lands on earth, the land of Israel is said to belong to God in a special way, so that God often calls it my land. Of all the places in Israel, Jerusalem is called the holy city, the city of God, and the city of the great king. And Jesus in the New Testament reaffirms that Jerusalem is the city of the great king. And then if we look at Jerusalem, we find the holiest place is the Temple Mount, where the holy temple stood, and it's called the Holy Mountain. Psalm 48 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Within the temple itself, was the holy place, and then the most holy place of all, the holy of holies, God's earthly throne, where his glory dwelt. Some say that now that Christ has come, places are no longer important, but they forget that God's purposes have not been finished yet. For example, the Bible predicts in Zechariah that Jesus will return to the Mount of Olives, a specific place, and he'll reign over the earth from Mount Zion from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, over the, and reign from the throne of David for a thousand years. Before that, Revelation 11 tells us that the Jews will rebuild a third temple on the Temple Mount, and God will use it to reach Israel and the nations through the, through the ministry of the two witnesses. And that's before Antichrist takes control of it and defiles it with the abomination of desolation, declaring himself to be God. Revelation 11.1, 1, John is told to go and measure, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there, but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it's being given to the Gentiles. In the tribulation, the Antichrist will broker a covenant with Israel whereby the temple mount will be shared between the Jews and the Muslims and the Jews will be able to rebuild their temple. And it says, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. That's the second half of the tribulation. And I will give my power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, that's three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth, calling Israel to repentance. And that their ministry is for the first half of the tribulation. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. The two witnesses announce the tribulation trumpet judgments in the first half of the tribulation. And that's why when they're killed, the whole earth rejoices and blames them for tormenting everyone on the earth. It says when they finish their testimony, that's at mid-tribulation, the beast, the Antichrist, that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. 
The great street actually means the plaza, the broad open place of the city, and that's a perfect description of the Temple Mount, because their ministry will be on the Temple Mount. And then it says also where our Lord was crucified, so clearly it will be in Jerusalem. God will use these two witnesses to proclaim the gospel to Israel and through TV to the nations. They'll operate from the Temple Mount. So God will use the third temple to remind the Jews that salvation is not through law-keeping, but through the shedding of blood. As Israel comes to their temple, the two witnesses will preach Christ to them. As they offer up the animal sacrifices, they will preach that Christ, the Lamb of God, has been slain and rose again after three days, proving that he is the Messiah. As a final sign that validates their preaching, God will also resurrect these three, two witnesses after three days, in the eyes of all the nations, because the TV cameras will be on them. That's what it says, verse 9. Those, then those from the people's tribes, tongues and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. But God has the last word. Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in the cloud, and their enemies saw them. Having finally captured the Temple Mount, the Antichrist will take over the Temple, dedicate it to himself, declare himself as God. Paul says of him in Thessalonians, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he's God. Notice, Paul here calls the third temple a temple of God. So it's built in the right place. And the Jews have already decided that there is only one place where they can rebuild the temple, and that's where all the other temples were, and that is on Temple Mount. Daniel 9.27 describes what the Antichrist does next. It says he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, that's for seven years. And in the middle of the seven years, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering in the, in the temple. And the Antichrist will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. That's his destruction at the second coming of Christ. So... This says that halfway through the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist breaks the covenant, takes over the temple, stops the Jewish sacrifices, and sets up an abomination in the temple, that, and desecrates the temple that way. And an abomination is an idol to a false god, even to himself. And perhaps that's the image of the beast that Revelation 13 talks about. And this direct attack on God's temple causes God's desolating judgments to fall in the second half of the tribulation, which will be far worse than the ones in the first half. And that's why it's called the Great Tribulation. And that's why it's called the Abomination of Desolation. It brings desolation down. So God takes his temple seriously, and the desecration of his temple he takes very seriously indeed. In G and that's a future temple. In Jesus' prophecy of the end times, he confirmed Daniel's prophecy that the temple would be rebuilt and be the center of the spiritual conflict. And he refers to Daniel's prophecy. And he points out that it yet has to be fulfilled. It's in Matthew 24. When therefore you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, 
Notice he calls the temple the holy place. Let those in Judea flee to the mountains, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Notice he describes the future temple as the holy place. So the true location of the temple and its holiness is still important to God and to Satan. And this is the reason why it's the center of the action and the spiritual warfare in the tribulation. So the present spiritual battle over the control of the Temple Mount will come to a climax in the tribulation with the warfare of God and his Christ against Satan and his Antichrist. It will end with the return of Christ to the Mount of Olives followed by his triumphant entry into the Temple just like he did in his first coming and then that's where he will establish his earthly throne for the thousand year millennium and then that will, his throne will be part of, the four, of a fourth temple that's described at the end of Ezekiel. And so we see that the temple was the center of action, spiritual action in the Old Testament. It was very much a center for the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament. He called it my father's house. And it will be again the center of action in the tribulation and in the millennium. So God's temples are very important. And that's why the Temple Mount is the most contested piece of real estate in the world and the center of a great spiritual warfare, so much so that many see it as a potential trigger for the next world war. It's still a holy place that God has set aside and apart for the fulfillment of his purposes, and which Satan contests and desires to control instead of God. And so presently this is manifested by the competing claims and the struggle between Islam and Israel over its ownership and control. And it's a major reason why any peace deal seems impossible at the moment, because neither side would be willing to give up the Temple Mount. The Jews claim their historic ties to the land, going back to God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, uh, when God gave them the land, the whole land. Jerusalem was then captured by King David and made his capital. And Solomon then built his temple there. And all of this goes back long before the birth of Islam. Although in the past, Islam didn't try and deny this Jewish history, recently their uh, teaching, their propaganda has changed and it tries to rewrite history and deny any Jewish connection with the Temple Mount. All this is motivated by the des desire to claim control over this holy place. For Bible believers, the rebirth in, of Israel in 1948 and the recapture of Jerusalem in 1967 were acts of God, clear fulfillments of Bible prophecy for the end times, setting the stage, as it were, for the final countdown, the final showdown. So Israel was born into a spiritual warfare over her right to exist and possess her land, and especially Jerusalem and the Temple Mount is at the center of this warfare. Into this spiritual warfare have stepped some well-meaning but misguided Christians with a novel theory originated by Dr. Ernest Martin that the temple was never on the Temple Mount at all but in the city of David whilst the Temple Mount was actually where the Roman Antonia Fortress stood. My intention is to prove to you that this theory isn't just false but dangerous.
because it's being used and gives encouragement to the enemies of Israel. Uh, it supports the modern radical Muslim narrative that Israel and, and the Jews have no right to the Temple Mount. It's given heart, as I say, to the radical Muslims that even Christians, many Christians are on their side and against the Jews on this key issue. If we go to the Temple Mount today, it's basically a large platform with some Islamic structures on it. The Temple of Jesus' time was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70 so that nothing is left of it. And this was part of the judgment on Israel for their national rejection of the Messiah. As a result, it's just a platform. During the Christian Byzantine Empire of the 4th to 7th centuries, the Temple Mount was abandoned and used as a rubbish tip. And the center of holiness for the Christians became the, the great Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which they thought was the location of Christ's death and resurrection. It suited their cause to be able to point to the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that all the temple buildings would be cast down. And the contrast of the magnificent Holy Sepulchre with the abandoned Temple Mount, a short distance to its east, was a visual aid showing the supremacy of Christianity over Judaism. When the Muslim armies conquered Jerusalem in the 7th century, they knew it was the most holy place for Jews and Christians. And so they wanted to demonstrate the ascendancy of Islam and the fact that it was now superseding and replacing these former religions. And so it did this by first building a shrine and then a mosque on what was known now as the holiest site for all the Jews, the Temple Mount, confirming that the people of that time knew that this was where the temple stood. At the south end of this platform is the Alaska Mosque, which means the furthest mosque. This name refers to a chapter of the Quran called the Night Journey, in which it said that Muhammad traveled from Mecca to the farthest mosque and then up to heaven. Although Jerusalem is not mentioned by name in the Quran, a later Islamic tradition from the uh, 10th century assigned this event to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And so from the 10th century, the name Alaska was applied actually to the whole Temple Mount, making Jerusalem the third most holy place in Islam. And this is actually the basis of their claim to the Temple Mount. However, there was no mosque there during the time of Muhammad, and it certainly was not the furthest mosque from Mecca. In time, Alaska came to be applied to just applying just to the large mosque at the southern end of the Temple Mount. In the middle of the Temple Mount is the beautiful gold-covered Dome of the Rock, an Islamic shrine made in 691 AD, the first major sanctuary built by Islam. It was built to cover the only piece of exposed bedrock on the Temple Mount, the local peak of the mount. The Dome of the Rock is a shrine rather than a mosque, and it's obviously designed to cover the special rock beneath, and to assert an Islamic rulership over it, because they believed in its holiness. But why would Islam consider this particular place to be so important? According to the current Muslim tradition, the dome was built to mark the place of Muhammad's ascension into heaven from this place. But if that were the case, there would be no need to erect the later dome of ascension nearby. Also, there's no evidence that the dome was built to mark the place of Muhammad's journey into heaven, because none of the original inscriptions refer to that part of the Quran. Now, 
There are inscriptions you can see today on the outside of the dome that talk about Muhammad's journey to heaven, but they were added much later, well after the tradition of identifying Muhammad's journey with Jerusalem, before it took hold. If the holiness of this rock in their eyes was not due to Muhammad's midnight journey, it had to be because they knew it was the holiest place on earth for the Jews, who believed that it was the, ho it was the holy of holies of the temple. And from that fact, they deduced, that is, the Jews deduced, that it was also the foundation stone of creation and that it was where Abraham offered up Isaac. But it's all based on them believing it was the Holy of Holies. And so, in line with Islam's assertion that it's the perfect fulfillment of all previous revelations, including to the Jews, it was imperative to appropriate the holiest site of the Jews, for Islam. So this confirms that it was common knowledge in the 7th century that the temple was built on the Temple Mount and the Holy of Holies was the rock that is now covered by the Dome of the Rock. So that's why they built the Dome of the Rock on that place. It was built deliberately over the Holy of Holies. Islam's way of demonstrating its supremacy over Judaism and Christianity is by building mosques over their holy places. So, in order to assert dominion over Judaism, what better place to build a shrine than over their Holy of Holies? Moreover, it served, the Dome of the Rock served as a statement of superiority over Christianity, which, because the Dome of the Rock is on higher ground than the Holy Sepulchre with a dome actually of identical dimensions to the Holy Sepulchre. So it obviously was built as a comparison, in competition you might say. And it was built in the Byzantine octagonal style, with the mosaic decorations that are somewhat reminiscent of certain Byzantine features. And they, all of this, you see, is declaring the Islamic appropriation and ascendancy of what came before. This was reinforced by the many Quranic qu quotes in Arabic along the inside walls of the Dome of the Rock, which were verses largely chosen from the Quran to call Christians to deny the Sonship of Christ, the Deity of Christ, and the Trinity. Later the Crusades, Crusaders came along and they messed up the rock underneath the Dome of the Rock in, when they tried to convert it into a church. And although they did mess it up a lot, um, when they were building what they called the Temple of the Lord, you can still see, even today, and deduce where the original Holy of Holies was because of the markings on this rock. And the original Holy of Holies, you can actually reconstruct it, and it fits the biblical di dimensions perfectly. And especially impressive is that right in the temp in the center of the Holy of Holies is a rectangular indentation in the rock in which of the, the in which the Ark of the Covenant would have fitted perfectly. And this helped keep it stable in the earthquake. So we have tremendous evidence actually that the Ark of the Covenant really was there uh, where the Dome of the Rock is. That that is the Holy of Holies. So all the evidence is, is definitely pointing towards the traditional view of where the Temple Mount is. And we're going to look at this in great detail over the next um, couple of programs. So the general belief, whether Jewish, Christian or Muslim, has always been that the dome stands above where the original Holy of Holies was. 
This is the position of the Jewish establishment based on research from their sources. And they, they have no doubt that this is actually where the temple was. And they know that when the temple is rebuilt, that's where it must be rebuilt. And every archaeologist also holds that this standard view is correct based on the evidence. However, in recent times, to strengthen their claim to the Temple Mount, the radical Muslim position has changed from what they held before, and they now deny there is any Jewish history or connection to the Temple Mount. And sadly, they found encouragement in this belief from some Christians who are now promoting a theory, first proposed actually in 1999 by Dr. Ernest Martin, who had been a minister in the Worldwide Church of God, founded by Herbert Armstrong. This new theory says that the temple was not on what is known today as the Temple Mount, but rather south of that in the city of David. More recently, this theory has been popularized in a more journalistic style by Robert Cornuki. And as well as undermining Christian support for Israel and the t their right to the Temple Mount, the danger of this theory is also it results in Christians and Christianity being discredited in the eyes of the Jews. Uh, we, we should really be a witness to them. And so when we're so easily duped into following half-baked maverick theories, um, it can only result that they will not take us so seriously when we witness to them. Ernest Martin has now died, but Robert Cornuki has brought this theory into evangelical circles. He and others who are promoting it are generally evangelical. They believe in God's purposes for Israel, and they're well-intentioned. They believe in Bible prophecy, that the third temple must be rebuilt in the end times. But this seems to be an impossibility, as far as the Temple Mount's concerned, because of Islam, because of the hostility of Islam to this. For if Israel started to build a temple today, it would start a world war. So, in their honest desire to see Bible prophecy fulfilled, they are drawn to this theory that seems uh, to make it easier to rebuild the temple. You know, by saying that the temple never was on the Temple Mount, then somewhere else, then it will just be easier to rebuild the temple. Um, assuming, of course, we can convince the Jews to accept the theory, which would take an even bigger miracle. So they're actually trying to help God solve the problem by relocating the temple to another place where the Jews could build it without Islamic opposition. That's the kind of the emotional motivation behind this theory. The problems with this whole line of thinking is, first of all, it's based on unbelief. It's based on the idea it's too hard for God to change things, to prepare the way for the third temple to be built on the Temple Mount. My own belief is that what might happen soon is that a coalition of Russia and many Islamic nations will invade the mountains of Israel, that is, the West Bank, the occupied territories. Judea Samaria is the biblical term for it. And they'll do this to establish a Palestinian state and to lay the foundation then for the destruction of the whole of Israel. Ezekiel 38 prophesies this in great detail will happen in the end times. And it also prophesies that God's going to intervene in judgment against these invading armies. And he will demonstrate that there is, the God of Israel is still alive and he is the God in Israel. And he'll unleash the forces of nature against them, including a massive earthquake. And that will in destroy the invading armies. 
And I think it will also destroy the Dome of the Rock and it will radically change the balance of power in the Middle East. And it will create a window of opportunity for Israel to actually start to rebuild her temple. That's one way it could work. Secondly, again this whole line of thinking about why we need to move the temple to another place to make it easier for God to fulfill his prophecies. Well, it's not going to work because the Jews know and they've always known that the temple is on the temple mount and they won't be persuaded otherwise. It's unthinkable considering the holiness and the importance of the temple to the Jews and its sheer size that somehow the Jews could have forgotten where their temple was, especially as they don't just think of it as something belonging to their past, but something that is essential to their future. And they believe that their temple will be rebuilt because the prophets say so. And so the temple is not some historical curiosity for them, but it's very at the heart of their DNA. And so throughout the, the last 2,000 years, they've always kept the temple in their memory and they've always wanted to visit the temple and, and pray at the Wailing Wall. So it's not something that they're just going to forget where the temple was and totally change the location. Um, above all races, really, the Jews have been diligent to pass down their identity and their traditions from generation to generation, even when they've been scattered to the four corners of the earth. And the importance of Jerusalem and the temple were at the top of the list. Always they would pray every year, next year in Jerusalem. And also the Jews have had, maintained, a continuous presence in the land. Even if they weren't in Jerusalem, they would surely be, uh, would, would visit Jerusalem and so on. So they've all, there's always been some Jews in the land. So it's inconceivable that they'd forget where the temple was. And that's evidenced by their ongoing, continual desire to go up to Jerusalem, pray at the Wailing Wall over the last 2,000 years. And also, because they knew any future temple had to be built on the holy place that God had previously ordained for the previous temples, because otherwise it wouldn't be a true temple if it's in the wrong place, it surely would have been a top priority for the Jews and especially their leaders to guard the knowledge where the previous temples were. And they have done that. And so that's why they are sure they know where it is and it's on the Temple Mount, and it's the Holy of Holies is where the Dome of the Rock is. And so there's no way the Jews are going to accept some other place that some Christians have conjured up in a modern theory. There's no way they're going to accept that. And so this new theory is also futile from that point of view as well. And, and thirdly, it's futile because Islam doesn't just oppose the Jewish control of the Temple Mount but it, it disputes Israel control of all of East Jerusalem, including the old city and the city of David. And so they would strongly contest a Jewish temple in that location as well. Now, next time we're going to continue this study and we're going to investigate the true location of the temple by describing the two competing locations, the standard view and Martin and Cornuki's view. And... One says it's on the Temple Mount, the other says it's in the city of David. We're going to describe those two possible locations and we're going to look at the evidence for each one of them. And we're going to follow the biblical history 
of, of the temple. And we're going to describe the origins of the temple. And we'll see which theory fits the facts better. But also, we're just going to learn a lot about the temple because it's right at the heart of the revelation of the Bible and, and how important it is. And remember, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, you are very important to God. His presence flows through you. You are the temple of God now in the earth.